everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Daisy, Oklahoma is kind of a wide spot in the road. And between, if, like if you go south, uh, it's like I don't even know what's going on, so... If you go south out of Tulsa on uh, Highway 75, that eventually at Henrietta turns into the Indian Nation Turnpike, and you go you know, down through McAllister. Between McAllister and Antlers, there's an exit called the Daisy Clayton, Daisy Clayton exit. And I love it. I love it when you guys take that. Like I get random pictures of that Daisy sign, or even if you go through Atoka, there's a sign that'll you know, say Daisy Highway 43. That's, like, that's where my parents grew up. My mom lives down there. It's where my dad grew up. My grandparents like lived there pretty much their whole life, except for a couple of years that they went off to California, like right after the war. And um, Daisy, I, I tell a lot of these stories and tell a lot of that. My grandfather was kind of a man's man. And that's what happened when you grew up in Daisy. So my great, great grandfather, a guy by the name of George William Kellogg, had a little bit of a, a drinking issue. The way I understand the story is that uh, he was a mule skinner, and it meant that, like back in those days, if you ordered something, like you could order a house from Sears and Roebuck. You know? So if you ordered something, it would show up on the train, and then a lot of times there were these delivery drivers that would, the train depot, they would take that, they would take it off to wherever it was. They would pay the delivery driver, hey, make sure this money gets back to the train station, Delivery driver would take the money back to the train station, it's called cash on delivery, and then the train would take the money back to whoever the order came from. My great-great-grandfather had a little bit of an issue with alcohol. And so the story goes that he was that mule, like he was that delivery driver, and sometimes he couldn't get back to the train station with the money he was supposed to get back to. He would stop in at a saloon or whatever, and just kind of addiction kind of owned him. My great-grandfather, when he became kind of a, a young man, 17, 18 years of age, he knew something needed to change, and he knew that like, they needed to make some significant changes. So he, with his two parents, they moved from Wilberton down to Daisy, and they bought a little dry goods store. And he set his parents up to run the store, and he packed his duffel bag and he headed off to serve his country, and he served in the Army during World War I because he was a country boy from Daisy, Oklahoma. He knew how to handle mules. And so he was a mule skinner in World War I. And so a lot of times there were parts of the battle that was going on that the only way that they could get supplies there was by mule and wagon. And that's what my great-grandfather, Guy Kellogg, did. He was a mule skinner during World War I. When he got back, the family store was basically broke, the one that he had helped them to get into. So he kind of had to get involved with that. He married my great-grandmother, a woman by the name of Grace Kellogg, and they took over the store and they raised three boys. They raised Guy Jr., who was the oldest, George William, that's my grandfather, he was the middle, and then the youngest of those three boys was Jimmy. Uncle Jim, Uncle Jimmy, is, he's still alive and, you know, he's on up there in age. And um, all three of those boys were raised right there at Daisy. They're families. They married and they raised their families there at Daisy. Other really than military service, I mean, a couple of them went off to college. They all chose to raise their kids right there in Atoka County. My dad, 
In the early 80s, 1984, 85 was the first Kellogg to really kind of move away from Atoka County. Daisy in the early 1900s, like my granddad was born in 1929 and he told some stories about, you know, just Daisy and the kind of place it was. Like early, like right at that turn of the century, Daisy was kind of a neat little place, kind of a thriving little community. Had a livery stable, had a hotel, had a restaurant, had a barber shop. It had two stores, two dry goods stores. Didn't, didn't necessarily have a post office, but Kellogg Grocery actually served as the post office as well. My grandfather would tell stories about they would pack, load up, the, saddle up their horses, they would pack their saddlebags with enough food, and they would, they would drive their cows to either McAllister or Atoka, many times, sometimes just to Stringtown to put them on a train and sell them. And that was like a whole day process to drive a herd of cows to go sell them. And so they would pack enough food to stay the night. Sometimes they would stay the night out on the trail before they would get home. He told stories about working all day. He'd get all cleaned up. His horse that he always tells stories about was a horse named Selim. And he talked like the sun would be going down after they'd bailed hay all day or whatever it was. And he'd get on old Selim and he would run that dude in a trot to get him to the neighboring community of Dawes to see a young lady that he had a fancy for. He was absolutely smitten. Well, that would be my grandmother. Um... My grandfather was too young to serve in the war. He wanted to. His mom, Grace Kellogg, which is a picture of them, is my grandfather when he was a young man, and his mom, Grace Kellogg, she wouldn't sign the papers. She, she, wouldn't, let him, she wouldn't let him go off to war. So by the age of 17, he was married, had a baby, and he up and moved to California to go be a logger up in Northern California in the Redwoods. They finally saved enough money to buy an old car from, from a family member that was out there. And he tells stories of twice, they made, they made, in his old worn-out car from California to Oklahoma, one of those trips, they literally had to stop twice and work on the car. Like, we can't fathom, I mean, we might have a flat, but literally, that, that's just how hard their life was. The heater did not work. And, you know, when you're coming from California, you got to go through that mountainous area, Colorado and all that stuff, and he would tell stories that, you know, you, you, you wore your coat all day, and he would look back in the back seat, and my grandma would have my dad and my uncle back there, and every blanket they had piled on top of them just to stay warm. He was 91 when he passed away. Drove his own tractor, literally, until about five months until he passed away. I mean, he, he, he was, the summer he was 90 years old, he still bailed his own hay. Like, he still drove the tractor with the baler. Invincible. When I was a kid, I just thought he was just invincible. Thought he was the smartest, strongest guy. And I don't, I don't mean, like, go to the gym, work out strong. I mean, country boy strong. Come on, somebody. I mean, the brother could swing a splitting mall all day long. Just picture my grandparents, Bill and Anna Joe Kellogg. I can't wait to tell my grandkids when I grew up how I rescued Princess Peach with the Mario Brothers. You know what I'm saying? Like, he told all these crazy stories of him and my dad go cutting in Colorado, and they're up on the side of the, this mountain, and it was snowing to be 60, and there was a bear just right off out there. And I'm like, a bear? I mean, he was a man's man. We swore my grandpa had more lives than cats. Like, he had more than nine lives, okay? Um, survived a small plane crash. I have that picture hanging in my office. He had a horse die on him while he was riding the horse. The horse just had a heart attack, 
fell over on top of him, absolutely crushed his leg. He was loading with the tractor one day. They bailed hay. He was loading a round bale up on top of the trailer, and like they did one lower, and then they did another layer, and so he was trying to get another bale up there. That tractor did not have a cab, and that bale started wobbling and came loose and rolled back over on top of him and pinned him up against the tractor, literally collapsed one of his lungs. He didn't have a lung after that was over. Then there was the heart attacks. Like back in the 80s, he had the whole bypass thing, all the bypasses that they could do. And he still ate whatever he wanted to. Every bite had a spoonful of mayonnaise on it. Drank buttermilk like nobody's business. One of the funny stories was when I was a kid, you know, we'd all get up and, and go to church down there at Mickey Valley Baptist. He would lead the singing. And when he was in there eating, a, like, he would use a half a box of cereal just for his bowl of cereal. And he took one bite and goes, mmm. And he took another bite and goes, mmm. He goes, I can't do that. He had accidentally poured buttermilk in on top of his cereal. You know what I'm saying? Like, he could drink buttermilk with his dinner, but he couldn't eat it. I don't, I don't. That was just, that was my granddad. And then there was the time that the bull knocked the four-wheeler over on top of him. Like, he was on the four-wheeler when the bull got him, and that broke his collarbone. He was in his late 70s. When that happened, and that's the one that got him. That's the one that slowed him just, just a little bit of a step. All of a sudden, things started to change. All of a sudden, he didn't want to, but he'd have to ask for help because his body just hurt. And kind of his, it, it, it wasn't a cuss word, but kind of his famous word to go to was, oh, shock. You know, like, I, I, what does that mean, Pop? Like, oh, just shock, you know? And he'd get frustrated. He goes, I just... I can't do nothing no more, you know? His vulnerability had been revealed. Like he was just a strong man of a man and could do anything he wanted to, could fix anything he wanted to. And if he couldn't fix it, it didn't need to be fixed. Until finally there came that time where his humanity became exposed. And none of us really liked that. We don't like for our vulnerabilities or our humanity to be exposed. Mark chapter 14, Jesus and his disciples have just finished the Passover feast. During that meal, one of his disciples, Judas, would, would get up and leave. Mark will never reference Judas again. From that point on, the disciples aren't 12, they're 11, and that's how the Gospels would, would tell that story. And, and Judas would go and betray Jesus so the religious leaders could come arrest him. Peter had promised, I'll be faithful to the end. Even if I die with you, I won't leave you. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the night's even over. Mark 14, chapter 26, it says, they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. I absolutely love the picture of this verse. I love the intimacy of this verse. Because here they have this big meal, this big feast. Judas leaves. They get up, and, and Jesus is going to lead them across Jerusalem. And I can just see them as the sun is gone and darkness has set, and they're walking through the damp streets of Jerusalem, and they're singing just a powerful Jewish hymn. Along, I love the intimacy, and I love the worship caught in that moment. And Jesus would take them to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's an, it's an olive grove. Like if you Google pictures of Garden of Gethsemane, there's just these big olive trees. I'll be honest with you, they're not really pretty trees, but there's just these big olive trees that are there. And the word Gethsemane 
actually means olive crusher or the place of crushing. While they were walking to the garden, Jesus is having a very important conversation with him. He's reminding them of things he's told them, he's told them, he's told them, and he's like, listen, guys, I'm going to die. That's not how the story ends. I'm going to resurrect. And after I'm resurrected, I want you to meet me in Galilee. That's where I will meet you there. And so while they're walking those streets of Jerusalem at night headed to Gethsemane, he's telling them all this stuff. They should have known something was coming. But the disciples didn't seem bothered. They had just eaten this big Passover meal. They had a food full of belly, I mean a belly full of food. You know they were sleepy. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus is asking them, I need you to pray. I need you to keep watch with me. Can you stay alert? Because tough stuff is coming. And they like they couldn't. I mean, the Passover is is kind of their Christmas. It celebrates two different things. But Christmas is it's kind of our big holiday. We take more time. We do more planning, we spend more money, we travel further on Christmas than we do any other holiday. Passover had the same energy put into it as Christmas did. And so he's sitting there at this table and these guys, they eat this big, nice meal and now they go out and and it's darker in the garden and you know they're getting sleepy. I can relate to this. I can relate to this. So on holidays, we we go to my in-laws and, um, you you know, you kind of have to dress for the moment. You know, and, and years ago, we, we knew we would always take pictures with kids and stuff like that, and somebody would have a video camera out and getting videos and stuff like that, and, and now I just dress for the moment. I, I don't dress for the pictures, I dress for the moment, and I'm going to say my father-in-law, Rick, does the same thing. We dress for the moment. We're not dressing for the pictures, we're dressing for the nap. My daughter calls it a fat nap, right? Because that's what you are. You have just shoved all this amazing food, the ham, the potatoes, the dessert, the other dessert, and like your belly's full, and like you go take a fat nap. And I get right there in the recliner, and football's on, and like I just, they dim the lights in there, and I am <laughs> O-U-T, out. So I quit wearing pants to button. That's a dumb idea. I put some sweatpants on the brother. You know what I'm saying? How about something? I'm thinking of buying some maternity pants. I got the, you know, like say, I dress for the nap comes after the food and that's what these disciples man they they wanted a fat nap because they had been eating all this food now jesus hey i'm on a diet they they are too sleepy to be concerned and there they are in the garden of gethsemane can't you stay awake can't you stay awake have you ever have you ever noticed people say man i'm with you man i got your back and we're in this together whatever you need i like we we are here And while you're in bed, laying in bed at night with your eyes open and stressing and trying to figure out how you're going to pay for or how you're going to fix or how you're going to have the conversation, you're the one that's stressing and wrestling and praying. They sleeping. You're the one carrying the stress. Even though they said, brother, I am with you, they are not missing any sleep. While they sympathize with your stress, you are the only one that feels the stress. And that's what's going on in the Garden of Crushing. That's what's going on with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Is he is there and he's told his disciples and he feels the weight of what's coming. And while they sympathize with him and while they promise, Jesus, we're with you, I got your back. They don't feel the same level of stress 
Jesus, it's not their crisis. They're there to support, sure, but they're not praying like Jesus is praying. It's not their situation on the line. Something happens in that stress, that place of crushing called Gethsemane. We see Jesus' vulnerability. And I'm gonna tell you in just these three, four verses that we're gonna read, there is an explosion of theology. We learn so much about Jesus in just these four verses. So Mark chapter 14, verse 32. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Here we go. Verse 32, it says, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Could you stay here and keep watch with me? Verse 35, he went on a little further and he fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. He prayed, verse 36, Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. But he finishes, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Before Jesus had began his public ministry three years prior, he was tempted by Satan. I mean, Satan came after the human side of Jesus, and Jesus stood strong and tall, and he stood on the word of God when he faced that temptation. We'll also see his friend Lazarus die. Jesus, when, when he would come to the area, he would stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and, and Lazarus will die. He'd be in the tomb dead for four days. And when Jesus shows up, you kind of hear the accusatory tone of Mary and Martha. Jesus, had you only been here? Had you only been here? And in that moment, Luke tells us that Jesus wept. We, we see some human vulnerability of Jesus in those moments. But this story, this ties all the way back to the Christmas story. See, Jesus had a human mother by the name of Mary, but he did not have a human father. Now, sure, he had Joseph who kind of adopted him, but his, 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 his biological mother was Mary, but it was the Holy Spirit, it was the Spirit of God that supernaturally, miraculously planted the seed inside of her womb that would cause Jesus to start to form in her womb. Jesus was a miracle. He was fully human, but he was also fully God. Most of the time, we see the God side of Jesus. We see the wisdom that he had that was was smarter than any just human wisdom when the religious leaders would try to trap him and, and try to trick him to get him to say something. We see that God side of Jesus would just outwit him. Like he would just turn it back on him and they'd be like, <gasps> right? We read about the miracles that Jesus would perform. We read about the strength that he had to just minister to massive crowds day after day after day after day. It's only in a few places do we see the humanity of Jesus. And that's the stuff he got from his mom, right? Like anytime my kids have a personal struggle, I go, oh, you get that from your mother, <laughs> right? You do that too, don't judge me, right? You always blame the other parent. The humanity side that Jesus got from his mother, this is a big one. We see the human nature of Jesus wrestling in the garden with the torture that he knew he was about to face. 
We all have this place of crushing of our own. We all have our own garden, the place we're the only ones that know the stress. We're the only ones that can feel the weight that's there. People say, I'm with you just like Peter, even if I have to die with you. But in your moment of turmoil and wrestling, they're over there passed out asleep. Our mind is just going, God, where are you in this? This is one of the strongest moments in Scripture where we see Jesus wrestling like we wrestle, where we see the fully human side of Jesus. Verse 33, he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. That's humanity. He was troubled and distressed. This is the only instance in Scripture where Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, would struggle with the will of his Father. We see his humanity in full display. Verse 36, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus, knowing God the Father, had the ability to change the rules. It's God's earth, God's universe. He made it. He created it. He had the ability to change the rules. And he's like, God, listen, everything is possible for you. So is there any way, is there any way that maybe we could call an audible? Is there any way we could possibly change the rules? So we see the humanity of Jesus. He's fully human, got that from his mother's side. He's fully God, he got that from the Holy Spirit when, when Mary was miraculously conceived with a child. You, you can't be fully human and not wrestle with some level of fear. You can't be fully human and not wrestle with some level of selfishness. Now, I'm not calling Jesus selfish, but I'm saying he's fully human and he has to wrestle with the humanity that is in him. Why not? Why not just slip off into the silence of the night? Why not just slip off onto the side of the mountain? The disciples wouldn't know where he went. The disciples are sleeping. They're taking a fat nap. Why not just escape? No one will see me. I can escape this pain. I could, I could just slip away, just miss the hard things that lie ahead. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm misunderstood. Maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe this isn't the year. Maybe this is the wrong Passover. Maybe this is the wrong feast. Maybe, maybe I'm confused, and maybe I'll just slip off and, and give it just a little bit more time. Our humanity would be tempted to quit and sneak off into the quiet of the night. Because I'm not saying that Jesus was selfish because he clearly laid down his life for the sins of others. I'm saying that our human nature, our human flesh is selfish. And Jesus in the garden was praying for strength to overcome that. God, I, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus had two options. Obey God or be selfish. Obey God, sneak off into the night. Obey God, do what I want. For three hours, he's praying in the garden. I think it's worth pointing out too, here in the garden, this is where he struggled. Here in the garden is where he wrestled, not on the cross, not in the courtroom, not in front of the crowd that's yelling, crucify, crucify. It's right here in the garden is where he labored. It was prayer in the garden where he struggled, not under the pressure of the cross. He prayed beforehand so he would be prepared for what lie ahead, amen? That's why our prayer life is so important that we be prayed up before we go into 
the bigger moments, the bigger challenges of life. Matter of fact, it's why we should be prayed up before we go into each and every day. In our own garden, we wrestle with our own humanity. Just one of the struggles of humanity we deal with is relationship struggles. Some of our gardens of of struggle, some of our place of crushing come through relationships. It's interesting because Jesus needed something from his disciples. Hey, you guys can stay here. Peter, James, and John, come with me. We're going to go a little deeper. We're gonna, can you guys, can you stay and, and pray? With, I mean, he trusted them. He needed something from them that they were unable to give. They were unable to stay awake. So Jesus felt very alone in this moment. Even more than that, Jesus knows when he is on the cross, what has to happen. I'm really sorry about that. It's my magnetic personality, right? When Jesus is on the cross, he knows what has to happen. He knows that he is going to take on the sin of the world, and that God would have to turn his back on the sin of the world. While Jesus is on the cross, one of the things that he says, we have record of, is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who could always feel connected to the Father, he could always feel the presence of the Father. In that moment on the cross, in his death, he would be completely disconnected from his Father. He would feel abandoned and forsaken. Our struggles may look a little bit different. Ours maybe comes from our marriage. Like maybe it was a fairy tale beginning, but now you just pray, God, take this cup of suffering from me. Don't amen that. Like, don't, don't. Not a good place to amen. Y'all aren't a big amen crowd anyway, but it's fine. You know. There are days that walking away, slipping into the night, avoiding the hard stuff, would be easier. Walking away looks more attractive than praying it through in the garden. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent. I don't don't know how you grew up. I'm very blessed. Had two amazing parents that stayed married until my dad passed away. I was raised in church, but some of you, many of you, that's, that's not your story. Maybe a parent hurt you. Maybe a parent abused you. Maybe a parent abandoned you. Maybe a parent chose a different life apart from you. Maybe it's a friend who betrayed you and forgiveness is hard to find. Our choice with humanity comes down just like Jesus, obedience or selfishness. I can obey God or I can be loyal to myself. The first struggle we see is relationship. The second struggle we see is vocational. When the struggle is your job, when the struggle is your calling, the struggle is your livelihood, it's your vocation, it's your career, or, or maybe it's the dream. Like this is, this is what I've always dreamed of being and doing. There's a struggle that comes from that part of life when it gets hard, when it gets heavy. The stress can cause us sleepless nights. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't change jobs. I know people have changed multiple jobs, multiple careers in a lifetime. The change isn't the issue. It's the motivation for quitting that's the issue. All too often, people will quit, they'll change jobs, they'll run from a situation, they'll walk away from a calling, they'll give up on a dream because the struggle is too intense. It's not that they feel called to another, it's just that this one is too hard. It's too much. And so they quit. Let me just encourage you, the place of crushing is not the place to change. 
It's not the place to quit. It's not the place to give up. The questions we need to be asking in the garden is, will I obey God or will I quit? The best advice is, is obey first. Consider the change when the drama has calmed down. Consider the change when the emotions are calmed. Consider a different career path when I'm not running from a fire. Because so many times when we run from a fire, we run right into regret. Sure, stress can be a catalyst for change. It's been in my life, you know what I'm saying? But it's best to kind of clear away the emotions. It's best to clear away the stress. Take a look at the big picture. Invite good people into your life for, for just some discernment and affirmation before we quit and slip off into the night. The next struggle is a personal struggle. These are the struggles of our own making, our own choices, our own addictions, our own resentments. We did this. It's, it's our personal struggles. It's our personal battles that we fight. Truth be told, we have to have the help of others to walk through these issues. God created us for relationship. He created us for relationship with him. That's why he created Adam and Eve. So you and I were created to be made in relationship with God, but we were also created for relationship with other humans. We get that. That's why as a church, we put such a big emphasis on small groups. That's why they're so important. If you, like they are just getting started. Like if you're new to Hillspring, maybe your first, second, third Sunday, we would love for you to connect into one of our small groups. Go to hillspring.tv. That's our website. You can go to our app, Pastor Matt talked about. But if on our website, under ministries, go to small groups. Click that button. The next page, you click that and it will just show you all the small groups we have to offer. Some are trying to study the Bible. Some are trying to be moms. Some are trying to drink coffee on Tuesday morning. This relationship is so important. Jesus needed Peter, James, and John in that stressful moment. And we need others to help us through our personal struggles. We need others to stay alert. We need others to pray with us. And, and that's hard. It's hard to let people in. It's hard to let people see our vulnerability. Don't miss this moment. Jesus, when he prayed that prayer, he knew the gospel writers would record this. All of history would read it and see it. And he said, God, can you please take this cup of suffering from me? Jesus exposed his vulnerability to all of history. It's hard to be open. It's hard to admit our vulnerabilities. It's hard to admit our humanity. We need people in our lives to walk through those struggles. Amen. Number four, the spiritual struggles. God, is there any other way? God, this is really hard. Could you take this cup of suffering? Can you, can you take it away? God, can you change the rules? I know it's your universe. I know it's your earth. You made the rules. God, is there any way in this moment that you can change this? And then Jesus says this, yet I want your will to be done not mine. Regardless how I feel, regardless of where I am, regardless of what I'm going through, is God the Father number one in your life? Is God the preeminent force in your life? Is God at the top of your priority list and at the center of everything that you do? Is God's will my priority? That's what he was wrestling with. God's will versus Jesus' humanity. Our gardens of crushing, our own Gethsemanes, 
they call for sacrifice over comfort. And that's hard. Abba, Father, everything is possible with you. You can change the rules if you want to. Please, please take this cup of suffering. One of the gospels tells the story that Jesus was in such distress and it's a condition that happens that he literally sweat drops of blood. Please take this cup away. Yet not my will be done. God, but your will. Is the Lord your Lord? Here's, here's Jesus' invitation. He's not asking you to face a Roman court like he did. He's not asking you to face physical torture. You, you won't be beaten like he did. He is asking you to accept the message of grace. Jesus would get up from praying in that garden. Moments later, he would be arrested. He'd be put on a banana trial, false testimony, fake witnesses. He'd be found guilty by the Jews. The Romans would actually try to release him, but the crowd that had gathered outside demanded crucify him, crucify, crucify. They would beat him and whip him, place a crown of thorns upon his head, make him carry his cross as far as he could, take him to the place called Golgotha, place of his skull. They would lay down that rough wooden cross, they would throw his body on top of it and they would nail his hands to the cross, nail his feet to the cross. They thought he was just a movement leader. But in that moment, they discovered he was the savior of the world. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus shed his blood so that you and I would be forgiven of our sin. Romans would tell us, if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be is the Lord your Lord? And if he's not, there's no better time than today to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. I don't, I don't know where you are with God today. I don't know if you're in a good place. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're not at all. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never committed your life to Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. I don't want you to leave today, and I don't just walk you through how to do that. All across this room, I'm just going to ask you to be very still. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to know today that I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle. I'm not going to ask you to talk to anybody. What I do want to do is lead you in a very simple prayer where we confess and believe. And if you know today that you're not in right relationship with Jesus, just right there at your seat with a sincere heart, I invite you just to whisper this prayer under your breath. Are you ready? Just pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, right there, just, just say that. Just do it. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I come to you today because I need you. I have made a lot of mistakes in my life. I don't want that anymore. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you begin to change me? Save me? Make me a new person? Today, Jesus, I completely surrender my whole life to you. Every head bowed, never eye closed again. I, I'm not, you don't have to walk in out, you don't have to talk to anybody. Before I let you go, I just want to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer with me today to come home, to make the Lord your Lord, just wherever you're at, just slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around, just me. Okay, okay, okay. All right, I see those hands. Anybody else? Lift them up high so I can pray for you. All right. The Spirit of the living God, you see these hearts, you see these hands today. Hearts feeling the pool, feeling the love, the mercy, the grace of the Holy Spirit calling and begging us into relationship. Father, I thank you for those hearts that are responding to the gospel, making Jesus their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray you fill them with your spirit. God, I pray you just surround them with Christians to just help them take those next baby steps. Father, I pray you help them just get connected into Father's church. It just helps them grow. What I love being a part of a church. It's just committed to seeing people know God. And people set free, find freedom, discover their purpose. God, together, making a difference. Lord, I love you. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I pray today, this word that we've heard, this kind of heaviness that we've gathered around, but yet we also see the vulnerability of our own lives in Scripture. God, I pray it bear fruit in us, 36 and 100 fold. I pray, God, that we can also see our Savior in a new way. That's refreshing. He struggled like I struggled. And the Spirit of God that was in him Helped him to overcome and the spirit of God that's in me and help me overcome. The beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, come on, give God the biggest praise you got this morning. Amen. Come on. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.